I need you to know that the church of Jesus Christ never looks more like Jesus than we're collecting boxes for a Christmas child when we're collecting money for gift cards and no one knows who's given what and where it's coming from or where it's going, when we're collecting groceries in a bag for M25, when you've signed up for a meal for a new place, or when you show up with your giving and with your volunteering for Night to Shine. Uh, I have the joy, I kind of act as ambassador that night, and so I have the joy of parents coming up to talk to me and to seek me out and to thank me. And I, I, mean, I mean, dozens, but a couple stand out. One, one mom said this. She said, you know, it's hard to figure out why you do this. And it's hard to be able to say, well, because this is what Jesus would do. It's kind of hard to put that into words in such a way where they go, oh, okay. But she said this. She said, you know, there's lots of organizations that do things for my son. They do dances and parties and all of those things. But none of them celebrate them and treat them like royalty. I've always wanted for my son to experience what every other kid experienced. And tonight's the night where they get to do that. And you have made that happen. So I say thank you for looking like Jesus. There's buddies that were dancing all night. I laugh. I've seen a couple of you out and about on Saturday limping. Um, <clears throat> And then there are some of you that I see in the grocery store, and I say, you survived? And Abby said, yeah, I went skiing this morning. And I went, you went skiing the day after? You were dancing all night. I said, why aren't you still there then? It's like noon. And she goes, well, I was there, and I only had a half a day in me, and I'm done too. Um, people putting their time in, directing traffic, people who have never seen, coming to tear down at the end. It's together that we look like the body of Christ. Uh, Usher, you come forward. You received an envelope when you came in. I don't expect right now you're going to quickly put that in the offering plate. But for this week, this week, next couple weeks, we have the envelopes that say night to shine. And we would ask you to give towards it. I want to remind you that we do not put it in our budget. We don't put it in our budget simply because we feel like this is something that ought to come apart from our regular giving. This ought to be who we are. And it costs about 30000 It's not cheap to do it, and yet it is money well spent in every way. So these next couple of weeks, we'll be collecting for that. We've typically covered those costs, and we're, we're counting on that as well. Uh, Hannah, I see Hannah in this service. I looked for you earlier. Uh, Hannah Lumen is the head of Night to Shine. It's a job well done. I want to give you one other quick update, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Uh, a number of months ago now, uh, I shared and, re and revealed, if you will, we had blueprints out here of the expansion project that we have looking in the future where we're going to take the lobby and basically triple it in size to create a place for belonging and community, a place to sit down and, and have breakfast with a friend or coffee, those kinds of things. That has not been forgotten, though it's been a quiet time, not been forgotten. The, the next step with, uh, for us has been to go out and find, recruit, interview and recruit a company or companies that will help us raise that money and help us with that internal campaign. And we've been really kind of selective because we're not looking to do just a quote-unquote campaign. We want to do something that fits us. Um, you know, with one particular church I know, they did this big campaign, and at the, kind of the ending of the campaign, they had a huge dinner and a tent, and it cost about 100 bucks a head to go to the dinner. 
and that's not us. In fact, years ago, we looked at something like that, and one of you made a, comment, a great statement that said, so if it's going to cost us 50000 to do dinner, why not just pass the dinner by and put it in the pot? And so we're looking for somebody that says they get us, and this is what they, if we've got, we've got a company, we're very excited about them, they get us, they're in, uh, in, in with us, and uh, we're now put, we've just approved them, putting a, a committee and a team together, so you'll get more about that. Ideally, we have, we have some money to raise without question, uh, it's not a huge amount, so we, can, we believe we can get that done. Our target would be to break ground, not this spring, of course, not in two months, but next spring. Our goal would be to do that, start that project next spring. Do we have this time in this coming year to get the funds in place, get the plans in place, all of those things, and then get to that place of actually breaking ground, starting the project next spring. That would be the hope. We're looking at a 9, 10, 12-month project. So during that time, we'd be meeting in the gymnasium. That kind of has some excitement in itself. Um, excitement in one sense until you talk to the children's workers and got to figure out where everybody goes over a period of time. But all of it very exciting. So I want to give you that update. Uh, it has not, it's not been idle. We have been working behind the scenes, and we're getting ready to take those next steps. So be excited about that with us. Now, for the past couple of weeks, let's jump into the message this morning. For the past couple of weeks from the beginning of the, of the year, I've been doing, uh, not been doing a series, but I've been doing kind of individual sermons. Uh, oftentimes, during the course of the year, I'll kind of write down thoughts and things I like to talk about, things that pop up along the way. So we've been doing that in these past couple of weeks. We'll continue to do that. Uh, my next series, we're going to start just leading into the uh, first part of Mark's leading into Easter. It's going to be a series on how to live out the hardest verse in the Bible or how to live out the easiest verse in the Bible. Really kind of a toss-up which way it goes, which word you use. We'll find out what that is. If you're curious what verse it is, go start searching, and I'll tell you in a couple of weeks. So that's what the next series that we'll be on. But today, I want to start with this verse. Here it is, Jeremiah 29, 11. <clears throat> For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and to give you a future. I was reading a survey and it said that that verse, Jeremiah 20 and 11, is one of the top verses when you ask a Christian, what's your favorite verse? That's one of the top verses that people will say, oh, this is my favorite verse. And why not? I mean, it's a really good verse. If you're going to grab a hold of a verse, why not grab a verse that says God has plans for you not to hurt you, not to harm you, but plans to give you a future and give you hope. That's a pretty good verse to grab hold of. So I, I get it. It's a big deal. People love the idea of having a future and having hope. In fact, this morning, I want to talk about hope. I want to talk about how to have a hopeful life, how to have a life that is absolutely full of hope. This attitude of hope is one of the most significant attitudes you can have in your life. The idea of having hope, no matter what the situation is, is absolutely life-changing. But right from the start, we need to acknowledge that the word hope that we use today is actually pretty weak in our culture. The word hope by itself doesn't do a lot for us in the culture in which we live today and how we use the word hope. The word hope that we, ha that we use today looks and feels nothing like the word hope in the Bible. It's very weak. It's very anemic. I want to show you a really short video clip. It's like 10 seconds. It's one of my favorite commercials. My wife will tell you that whenever it comes on, I go, ooh, watch his face, watch his face. I love the guy's face at the very end. And though he doesn't use the word hope in this commercial, it, his, picture, his face captures how most of us view hope in our world today. Watch. Here's your parachute. Packed it myself. Certain it's okay? Mm-hmm. Are you foreign print certain? 
I love his face. And I have to tell you, right there's the picture of hope. What's hope look like to you? I hope. I love that. But the problem is that picture is not the biblical picture of hope. I love his face. I love the commercial. But the problem we have today is for the word hope, the way that we use it, we use it kind of like that. We kind of wish that's what hope means. It means we're going to go to the movie. Oh, I hope the movie's good tonight. You know, uh, I, I hope my team wins the Super Bowl. Well, my team's not even in the Super Bowl, so I don't even care. So, or this, I'm going to go to my favorite bakery, and this is mine, not yours. I hope they have cinnamon rolls left. That's the word hope for us. So just so you know, please hear this. When God says that he wants to give you hope and a future, it is not the kind of hope that looks like this. It is not that at all. You see, God's hope is confident. God's hope is unwavering. God's hope is unafraid. You see, real hope in our lives is like oxygen for your soul, and your soul needs oxygen to live. And we're going to talk about that real hope. Now, don't make this mistake, which a lot of us do. We think that being hopeful means optimistic. See, a lot of us get that confused. We go, Scotty, I'm not really hopeful because I'm just, I'm just an optimist. You know, my friends are an optimist. They're the hopeful ones, but don't do that. Now, a lot of people get confused on this. Now, if you want a, a great thing to get capture in your mind as far as hope goes, listen to this, little, this real quick statement or two. The pessimist sees the glass as half empty. The optimist sees the glass as half full. And the person of hope sees the glass in God's hand and in God's other hand, he's got a pitcher full of water. That's hope. You see, optimism sees one thing, pessimism sees another, but hope sees that God's the one holding the cup. And on top of that, God's the one holding the pitcher full of water. That's hope. So if you're a pessimist, I got great news for you. You can be a pessimist and still live a hopeful life because it's not based on your optimism or your pessimism. Bottom line is, folks, and we need hope. Everyone needs hope. In our lives, we are dying for hope, and there be hopeful moments. And everybody hear this. In this current world in which we live, in this election year, in our messed up political culture, in a, in a world in which there's the edge of war, it seems, all the time, you can be hopeful, and you should. And here's my only reprimand of the day, and then I'll move on. If... In fact, if you look in this picture and you look at the world, and if as you look at this world you think, man, there's no hope or the only hope is in my candidate, the only hope is in the political process, whatever the case may be, if you look at the world events and you go, oh, I don't have any hope, then my statement for you is, who is your God? Stop it. I am so tired of Christians that are so focused on the world, they forget God holds the cup. And he holds the pitcher of water and he holds the world and nothing's going to happen in this world that God is not ultimately in control of. So Christians, cut it out and live on mission for the cause of Christ. That's hope. Shame on you. Shame on you. If you think that somehow the election year or whatever is going to change the outcome of this world, God changes the outcome. Now, let me give you a working definition of the word hope. This will help you. Hope means God is in control, period. That's what hope means. 
Hope means God is in control. If God is in control, then you have hope. If God is not in control, do anything you want and you have no hope. So that's what hope means. Now, I don't know, have you, have you kept up through all the different generations of life? I mean, you know, there's the lost generation. That was the, the group born in 1882 to 1900, then the greatest generation, 1901, 1927. The silent generation, then 1928 to 1945. Then you got the boomers, then you got Gen X, the millennials. You have Gen Z, you have Generation Alpha. Have you been, have you been keeping up with them all through, the, through, through time? Probably not. Years ago, there was an article that said the Gen Xers are the hopeless generation. And if you kept reading, and then a year or two later, you find out that the millennials are the hopeless, and this group's the hopeless. The bottom line is, folks, it's all hopeless. Every one of us, regardless of generation, needs hope, real hope. Now, think about this. Let me make a selling point for you before we get into how to have hope. Why is hope so important? How does hope change things? I want to remind you that, that hope has an immense role it plays in every one of our lives. Just think, I'm going to give you a couple key statements. And when you put hope into the equation, just think how this works. So think here, it goes like this. So if I have hope, if I have hope, number one, if I have hope, I can get started. I can, I can start the day. If you don't have hope, do you start your day? You know, no. I mean, what gets me up in the morning, what gets you up in the morning is the fact that today is going to be a better day than yesterday. You have the hope that tomorrow, today's going to finish well. So when I have hope, I have that ability every morning to say, a better day today. Hope gets me started. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord, look what happens. They renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So when I have hope, I, I get started. I, I have the reason to get going. When I have hope, second one, when I have hope, I can live with what? You finish it. When I have hope, I can live with, what's your burden? What is it you face? What is it you struggle with? Where is your battle? What's that thing you don't have an answer for? But when I have hope, I can live with whatever that might be. You see, people who have hope have the ability to handle incredible amounts of burden because they have hope. Maybe a third thing. If I have hope, I can go on. You see, when you have hope... It means that when your human strength is empty, it's okay, because now you're going to tap into real strength. See, when I have hope, it means that I have the strength to go on after a loss, after a divorce, after a death, after a broken dream, after disappointment. I don't know if you recall the name Florence and Chadwick. Florence Chadwick, you probably wouldn't remember the name. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel both directions. It's the first woman to cross the English Channel swimming in both directions. She has a great story in her memoir. It goes like this, July 4th, 1951. She was swimming across the English Channel, one of her first attempts, and she was less than a half a mile to the other side, and she quit. They afterwards, they were interviewing her, and she said it wasn't the cold water that made her quit. It wasn't the sharks. It uh, wasn't the fact that it was a 15 to 16-hour swim. It was none of that. What happened was fog rolled in. And just as she was getting to the end, she couldn't see the shore any longer. And she said this in her interview. She said, I'm not making any excuses, but I firmly believe if I could have just seen the shore, I would have finished. That's the absence of hope. She went on to try again. Only this time, the fog still rolled in. And she finished. And she said, what I did this time 
is I kept the picture of the shore in my head. And not only did she finish, she finished two hours faster than anyone had ever done it before her. Why? That's the picture of hope. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, So then, have in your minds, have your minds ready for action. Keep alert. Catch this. And set your hope completely on the blessing which will be given to you when Christ is revealed. What's that mean? It means that we keep our hope alive because we're looking forward. We see the shore. We see what's ahead of us. Let me give you another one. When I have hope, and a lot of us need this one. When I have hope, I can slow down. If you don't have hope, you're just going to keep running and running and running. But when you have hope, you can slow down. And a lot of us need this because this is kind of our pace. You ever realize how quickly life gets out of balance? Like the, the best picture I can think of is this. No one intends for this. You ever go to the grocery store? You're going in for two things. You walk by the carts and you think, I should get a cart. And you go, no, I don't need a cart. It's just two things. Yeah. And then you stand in the line with 14 items or less Your hands have 18 items, you're pretty sure. And even the people around you are looking, can I help you, sir? And it's like, no, no, I like dropping stuff on the floor while I wait. (laughs) And you sit there and you go, well, when did that happen? It happens because it sneaks right up on you. That's the way life works. That we get out of balance so very, very quickly. And then what happens is we kind of get stuck. We need rest. What happens when you don't have hope, you're in a hurry. I like watching some reality TV shows, and one of the ones I love is called Northwood's Law. Maybe you've seen it, maybe not, but it's basically following game wardens in the, in the, the day of the life of their duty. And it, I mean, it's, uh, there's the main New Hampshire one. I like that one best because home, close to home. But they have one in uh, Texas law and there's an Arkansas law. But I love the main one and uh, the main New Hampshire. I'm watching one night. It's my Sunday night go-to. Yeah, everything's done for the night. I can watch Northwood's Law. They had an incredible moment. So I, I can't recall whether it was Maine or New Hampshire. I think New Hampshire. But apparently they do an, a, a lot of search and rescues. When someone gets lost in the woods, the person, the place you call is the fish and game or wildlife. So they do a lot of, of, of rescues. And so they got this down. They're all suited up, ready to go. They got a team of people that had a phone that were lost in the mountain. They were able to call to say that we're lost. Then they lost contact. So they're setting out the search crews. This is going to be at nighttime. And I love this moment. He's looking at the map and he's got circles drawn from when the last time they had them on the phone, where they possibly be. Then as they're leaving, he, at one point he goes like this. He goes, don't forget... Forget the circle here. Expand your search area. Because don't forget, people who are lost tend to run faster in the wrong direction. How true is that? People who are unsure where they're going to go, we just pick up the pace and we go even faster. That is true all through life. It is true of you. It's true of me. It's true of our society. We are a society that needs rest. Uh, Some years ago, I was reading this, that if you work one year, Put one year of work in some business in Brazil or Austria. After working one year, you get 30 days vacation time. If you work in Sweden and you work for one year, you get 25 days. Work in Germany, work one year, you get 24 days. Work in the United States, work one year, you get 10 days. We need rest. (laughs) And we need rest when we don't have hope and and when we really don't have, we need the rest even, even more. Psalm 62, 5 says, I find rest, where does it say? In God. 
I find rest in him. And look at the rest of it. Only he gives me hope. Hope and rest are tied together. When I have hope, I can slow down. And let me give you the last one. When I have hope, it gives me the power to say no. When you have hope in your life, you have the ability to say no. No to what? No to all the temptations that will bring you down. Now, I need you to follow me here real quickly for just a couple of minutes here. Be sure you hear this. Hope is the foundation of character and integrity. Let me say it again. Hope is the actual foundation of true character and integrity. Now, walk with me for just a moment. Think about this. If I have no hope for the future, if I have no hope in there being a God, if I have no hope in eternity, if I have no hope in that which is out there in front of us, if I think that there's nothing out there, there's no hope for the future and for what's ahead of me, then why do anything else and care about it? Process this. There is no logical reason if I don't have any hope for the future, there's no logical reason to have character or to have integrity. Now you say, well, uh, you can still be moral. You can. What I'm saying is there's no good reason to be moral because there's, there's nothing, there's no parameters. If, if there's no hope, you have no good reason to tell the person who's robbing you, oh, stop robbing me. Why? Because I don't want you to, but that's what you got. You see, if there's, no, if there's no hope for the future, if there's nothing out there, then if you're poor and you need money, just steal it. Because nothing else matters. Just the moment matters. That's all. Living in this moment is all that matters. Don't worry about anything in the future. Hope is the foundation of genuine character and integrity. Because in character is based upon the fact that there's something to be hopeful for. There's someone to place our hope in. 1 John 3, 3 says, everyone who has this hope in Christ Jesus keeps himself pure. It means that because there is a God, because there is a God who is holy, we have a model of why we stay pure, why it is we say, no, that's wrong. We need to do this. Some of you will say, well, but Scott, listen, I know folks that are good moral people. So do I. What I'm just saying, if there's no future hope, there's no good reason to be more. You can be, but off the rails if that's the way you choose to go. So the benefits of hope are huge. I mean, everybody needs hope. I need hope. You need hope. But the question then is, how do you get hope, right? We'd all say, I agree. I want everything you've just listed. But then how do we get hope? How do I get hope into my life? That's what I want to finish with. In fact, God has a plan. God has a process. God has created a patented process, if you will, an assembly, assembly line for hope. He put it together, and it's a fantastic plan. Let's read it. Romans chapter 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character produces what? Hope. So God has a plan, and we're going to walk through the process. Now, let me start in the beginning by saying we need to disclose that there are some parts of the process that you are not going to like. Right up front, some parts of God's process we will not like. In fact, just so you know, parts of the process I don't like. And in fact, if God had asked me to put the plan together, I would not have chosen this plan. The plan I would have chosen would have included at least three to four weeks every year somewhere on a Caribbean beach because certainly you need the drugs of, summer, of, of sun and sand to be hopeful. God doesn't have that built into the plan. So I'll tell you right up front, you're not going to like parts of this, but here we go. Let me give you step one. It's, it's a pretty easy four-step process for getting hope. 
Step number one. Step number one is you got to go get yourself a good problem. Congratulations. Most of us are a quarter of the way there already. Step one is you have to have a problem. And if you find yourself being one of those unique people that are going, I have no problems right now, well, then go out and get one because that's the pathway to hope. It starts with a problem. Hope always starts with a problem. And very sincerely, if you've got one, hey, you're a quarter of the way there, so be happy. Let's keep going. Yeah, you're a quarter of the way there. You're saying, well, getting hope starts with a problem? Yep. You know, so... I'm going to have problems this year, right? Yep. I have problems right now. You do. We had problems getting to church today. I'm sure that you did. That's the nature of the beast. And that problem is going to be very key in you getting hope. Now, here is the incredible statement of nature about God. God has the ability to take any problem that you have. Listen carefully. Even the problem that you are convinced will steal your hope and rob you of joy. Even that one, God has the ability to take it and give you hope through it. Even the problem that you think will rob you of hope, God says, no, that's the problem I will use to give you hope. So let me tell you a couple things about hope, just about, about the problems, I should say, just to help get us on the same page. First of all, don't forget, problems are inevitable. Problems come with life. No one is immune. No one escapes it. Everyone has problems. Why is that important? Because in your life, when you encounter a major problem, you immediately think that somehow you've been singled out. Isn't that how it goes? You know, we we know we all have problems, but when the problem hits me, it's just me. It's like, oh, look at my problem. No one else has this problem. You see, we feel very isolated when problems come. So it's very important that we know that they're inevitable and everyone has them. Good people have them, bad people. Church people, unchurched people. People who believe in God, people who reject in God. People with problems, no one is exempt. We have problems and we have more problems and it doesn't escape us. So please know that. That's the starting place. Every one of us has them and we can't get away from them. The second thing I need you to know about problems is that they're usually unexpected. Now, some problems are to be expected. I get that. But the big problems in our life usually are unexpected. They're the ones that blindside us. They're the ones that catch us off guard. They're the ones that take the, knock the wind out of us. And you know what's interesting? In the New Testament, the word problem has a root word in Greek that means pirate. Doesn't that fit? What's a pirate do? A pirate ambushes you. A pirate robs you. A pirate beats you up, it attacks us. Problems. They ambush us, they rob us, they steal us of our joy, steal us, of, they try to steal us of our hope. I mean, it just fits the picture. Let me get a third, a third statement about problems so we're on the same page. Problems are used by God to develop us and grow us. Problems are the mechanism God uses to develop us and grow us. Now, Make sure you get this right. When I say that God uses problems to develop us and grow us, I'm not saying that problems are good. Didn't say that. Just for the record, God is good, problems not good. God is good, but the problems are no good. We don't like the problems. So when I'm saying that God uses them, that is not to blame God necessarily for the problems. Now, one of the most common questions that people like to ask pastors, one of the questions that people like to get hung up on, if you will, is this kind of statement. If there's a God, then why does he allow problems? 
If there's a loving God, then why does he allow suffering? Why doesn't God just come solve all the problems? He's got the ability. Now, I'm going to give you an answer, but I need you to know that that question about suffering and all those things, that question has been, been, been asked for 2,000 plus years. People trying to figure that out. I am going to answer that question in three minutes or less. That is worth the price of the admission you paid to get in here this morning. <laughs> now, wait a minute. You didn't pay to get in. I'll bring the ushers back. Let's do another offering. <laughs> Let's just make, this, make you feel like you're getting your money's worth. So, so how is that? Why, why God? Why doesn't God just take all the problems away? Wouldn't that be so simple? We see a shooting that happens with children. We see sickness. Well, God, why wouldn't you just take all the way? A couple things. First of all, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. It is not a perfect world. It was perfect at one time. Perfect at one time. God did create the perfect world, but through sin, through Adam and Eve and through sin, sin comes into the world and sin has messed everything up. Do you realize there was a world at one time full of plants, but no weeds? There was a world at one time with bugs and not one of them would bite. There was a world in which your body had cells that would reproduce in your system to make you have that young and youthful appearance, but none of them turned cancerous. They're reproducing cells, but no cancer. There were no tumors. There was no arthritis. I got up after night to shine, being on my feet all day, and holy smokes. I just stood there for a while, getting my bearings while my legs started to work again. There was a world where you got up every day and nothing was out of place. There were relationships in this world, that were not, but no broken relationships. How could that be? There was a world where there were hearts, but no broken hearts, where there were tears, but only tears of joy. There was a world where there was joy and there was no sadness. It was just joy. Sin in this world has left us in a broken world, a world that God does say, but one day I'll make that all brand new again. But right now we live in a broken world. Let me give you a second reason why God doesn't just relieve suffering and why he can't take all the problems away because he can't take the problems away. You mean, what do you mean? God, he's all powerful. Yeah, but God has given to us free will. So based upon that, by his choosing, he has given to us the ability to choose and God, even by his own will, has said, I will never take away your free will. Because that is what makes you, you, the ability to choose. That's what gives you the ability to choose God or not. And if God takes that away, our ability to choose, oh, man, we'd be up in arms. We're not free people. Well, you're free. And God says, that is a choice that I will give to you. And the truth of it is that most of our heartbreaks in life, our most heartbreaking problems, are problems all because of people. Because of choices I've made or the choices that they have made that have brought pain and suffering into my life. But here is the picture of the greatness of God. His by his choosing says, I cannot take away your free choice despite the pain you cause through your bad decisions. I cannot take away their free choice despite the pain that they cause in your life because of their decisions. But here's what I can do. I will take every one of the problems that are created by them or by you and I will use that problem to give you hope. I will use that problem to give you character. I will use that problem in a bigger picture that you can imagine for somehow to put a plan together that's better. 
That's what I'll do for you. If hope cannot help when it hurts, then there really is no hope. But hope does help, and it does make a difference. So the first step, if you want to figure out how to get hope, is you have to have a problem. And since you're already there, let's go to the next step. Step number two, in the problem, you have to practice patience. While enduring the problem, by facing the problem, practice patience. Romans chapter 5, verse 4, just the, the last part we read. So what happens is that in our lives we have suffering, and that produces perseverance. And then it says perseverance, character, and then character produces hope. That word perseverance, if you do look it up in the Greek, look it up in the New Testament, can also be translated patience. So what happens, suffering produces patience, and patience produces character, and character hope. You see, if problems by themselves were enough to grow us up and maturity, well, then we'd all be just these great sages of wisdom, right? If problems were enough, man, would we be one mature group because we've got problems. But it's not problems. It's problems plus patience, according to the verse. It's problems that you go through practicing patience. You see, most of the problems in your life are not solved quickly, are they? The biggest problems that can up, come up in your life are not going away tomorrow. You're going to have to figure out how to go through that process, which is called patience. Now, this is, this is a critical step that for all of us that want to get to that place of hope, we will try to avoid. What's interesting is we really want hope, but this next step, we will, we will bend over backwards to get out of the patience step. Because the problem with patience is you just have to have patience. And man, we try to get out of that. There's three popular ways that we try to avoid this patient step in our problems. One of the ways is we run from the problems. We run from them. We run away. We run to a lifestyle that's destructive. We run to relationships that are destructive. We just find some other place to go. Instead of facing it and getting through it, we just chase after something else. We run. We hide. That's the other one. The people that hide from the problems, uh, the people that, that sit there and pretend they don't exist. Uh, somehow we sit there and hide behind our anger or some other emotion. Even behind our optimism, you can find people in the heat of a problem and they just act as if it's no big deal and it's all going to be fine, going to go away. And you kind of listen a little bit and you're not hearing hope, you're hearing someone lying to themselves. Well, we do that a lot. A third way that we try to escape it is we oftentimes try to escape the patience of the problem with blaming others, pointing at others. This is really helpful. See, what I like to do is when I have a problem and I have to endure it, I just look for someone else who I can blame for the problem. It makes me endure it so much easier when I can say, look what I'm in because of you. Man, that feels good. The problem is when you exchange blaming for patience, the result is bitterness, and it's not a good swap, just so you know. But we do that. We look at people. We can say, look at your life. They're not sick like I am. They're not facing what I'm facing. And even for Christians, been believers for a long time, something happens in our lives, and we kind of go, oh, this shouldn't happen to me. God, what are you doing? And then we switch to say, who can we find to blame here? Let's blame somebody or something. If you can find someone else to be mad at, to accuse of, having, of being the source of the problem, it's a swap that I would suggest you don't make because it ends in a bad way. Now, practice patience in the problem. What does that mean, Scott? Okay, it means don't hide. It means don't run. It means don't point and blame. It means, catch this, that every single day I get up and I say, God, I trust you with the problem. 
I trust you with the problem. Now, let me give you a passage, Romans chapter Romans chapter 8, verse 25. But we look forward to something we don't yet have, and we must wait patiently and confidently. It means that when I'm going through the patient, going through the process of patience and the problem, I'm waiting for something to happen. I'm waiting for hope to show up. I'm waiting for God to show up. Now, I'm waiting because it hasn't happened yet. It's in the future. And so I'm waiting patiently for God. Now, if you're like me, and I hope you are in this realm, you find yourself saying, but what does that mean? What does it mean to trust God? Don't you just hate when someone says, you know, Scott, how do I get through this problem? And I go, well, just trust God. And you kind of go, okay, great. That's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm just going to trust God. But practically, I live in the world where I just go, what does it mean? When I say to you, be patient in the problem, what are you supposed to do? Well, I'm going to tell you that at the very end. And I'm going to be as practical as I can be. When I, when I realized this step, it was life-changing and how God gives hope. And so I'm going to end with that. So stick with me. Let me give you a third thing, third step along the way. So you get, you get a problem. You got that. You practice patience during the problem. We're going, to talk, we're going to finish with that one in a minute. And then the third thing is remember to develop your character along the way. Now, actually, I should change that because God's the one that develops character. So I'll change that. Remember to cooperate with God while he builds your character along the way. Cooperate with God as he's building your character. James chapter 1, verse 3. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow, and don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything. Look at it. Strong in character, full and complete. Strong in character. You see, friends, character is always and only developed in difficulties. That's when character is formed. You see, so many Christians, oftentimes new believers, often have this thought process that says, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, no problems. Hey, I'm giving my life to you, no problems. God, you owe me in return. As I said earlier, even veteran Christians, something will happen. It's like, God, I've been faithful all my life. Why are you doing this to me? There's an expectation, again, that says, you know, God, I should get better than this. But as you get older, you realize that your greatest learning moments in life has come through what? Problems. It's come through the difficult moments. The best you view you will ever have of God is the view that you have of God as you look back and look at how you, he walked with you through the problem. Franklin Roosevelt made this quote, a smooth sea never makes a skilled sailor. And that's true. It's the rough seas. So what is character? Let me give you a definition for character. We're going to talk about having character. What does that mean? Character means acting like there is a God and that you believe that he's actually in control. That's character. That's character no matter what. When you live your life in such a way where you, believe, you act and live as if there is a God and I'm going to live as if that God is actually in control, then you have character. Now, a side note, let me remind you, of a false hope that we are really big into in our country, our culture. I would say any wealthy culture tends to have this. There's this thought that, has, that we, we kind of feel like when we don't have hope, oftentimes that feeling of not having hope is triggered by un, an unsure surrounding. 
We read the news. That's not hopeful in, in, in definition, not hopeful. We read what's happening in the world. It's unsettling. And so what happens in many of our lives is we have this temptation to think that if I can get enough stuff in my life, that it will provide me the security I need. It will give me the hope. You see, if I have enough money saved and squirreled away, not in the bank, I mean like saved for an emergency. I got enough money, I'm okay. If I have a big enough house, then I'll be safe. If I have enough food put aside and protected away, if I have enough stuff, then I'll have hope. I gotta tell you, that's not just out in the world. That's in the church where people are beginning to convince themselves that with the unsurety, if I have enough stuff, And the problem is they feel good about it right up until the house burns down and then they don't have the stuff. They feel really good about being, I got enough stuff to to give me hope for the future right until the doctor says, well, I'm sorry, but your diagnosis is not good. And by the way, you don't have much of a future. And by the way, all the stuff you have can't cure you. You see, hope and character are not built upon stuff. Hope and character is built upon him. And I'll give you a solid tip this morning. Always build your hope on something that can't be taken away from you. God can't be taken away from you. So that's where you build and place your hope. Let me give you our last step. Last step along the way. So third step, character. Cooperate with God as he's building your character. And then the last one, enjoy. Enjoy hope when it shows up. And it will show up. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Now look what it says. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, Easter's coming, end of March. We're going to celebrate, of course, the resurrection. And, and we celebrate it not because it's just another date on the calendar. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so fundamental to everything else. The resurrection of Christ is fundamental to hope. You see, what it's saying here is that that hope is found through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That just makes sense. The resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that there's something other than this life. There is a future. And the thing that we fear the most can be beaten and conquered, and that's death because of Christ. Jesus defeats death, and then he says to all who will follow him, listen, death no longer has a hold on you. Death no longer has the final say. This thing that you dread, he says, now listen carefully, death for you now, if you're a follower of mine, death for you now becomes the gateway to joy. It becomes the gateway to eternity. It becomes the gateway to the best life ever. Death no longer has power. He says, if you are a follower of me, here we go, death is now the gateway to heaven. And friends, you've heard me say this before, and heaven is better. And some of you will go, well, better than what? Pick your thing. It's just plain better. The resurrection is the foundation of all hope. When you have Jesus, you have hope. Now, how does hope show up? And you say, Scott, well, how does hope show up? And I would say, it just does. Well, Scott, how do these steps all work together? And I would say, they just do. (laughs) Uh, Actually, it wouldn't be this. It would be, they just do. And you go, but you got to give us more. Okay, so let's go back. I told you I'd finish with this. And this is kind of a, 
critical piece. So Scott, how do I practice patience in the problem? What does it mean for me when you say, trust God, to trust God? What, what do I do? What do I do that, that actually builds my character? What do I do that actually builds my hope? So in the middle of the problem, and I'm facing it right now, quite literally, what do I do right now? What do I do tomorrow? And please don't tell me, just say certain words. No, I'm actually going to give you something specifically to do. What I'm going to tell you next, the answer I'm going to give you next, some of you will never do. And accordingly, you will never enjoy hope. Some of you will do this. Some of you have done this. And I have to be honest with you, it's only about maybe 15 years ago that the light came on that this is actually the pathway to hope. And it had to happen to me because it happened to me. So here you go. So what exactly do you do? You're facing this problem. It's not going away. You get up tomorrow morning and you do the right thing. You get up and you put one foot in front of the other and you go about your day and you just keep doing the very things you know you're supposed to do. And right now you're going, that's it? That's it. Patience in the problem means that you get up and you say, okay, God, I'm saying this kind of tritely because when you're in the dark moment, it's sometimes the best you get to go, okay, God, I don't get this, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. You just keep doing what you're supposed to do. You just keep doing the right thing. You do it today, and then you get up and you do it tomorrow, and then you do it the next day, and for some of us, it's every hour you got to say, I'm just going to do the right thing, I'm just going to do the next thing, just what I'm supposed to do, fulfill the requirements, just do it, and you go, well, how long? As long as it takes. And that doesn't help, does it? As long as it takes. That doesn't help. But quite honestly, you don't understand. That's the secret to hope, is you just keep going. And let me give you this closing picture, and you'll begin to see it. So a number of years ago, I've shared this story with you before. Some of you will remember um, probably 15 years ago, um, I went through one of the darkest times of my life. And it's not my nature. I'm not a down person. I'm the up guy. In fact, in even our house, the joke is, if I'm down for some reason, it's like everybody's down because I'm never down. For about a year, I was as down as I could be and it was as dark as it could possibly be. You need to know during that time, I didn't reject God. I didn't have this dark night of the soul where I said, God, where are you? And what's wrong with you, God? I didn't have that. I believed in God. I trusted him. But every day I woke up and it was dark. I can't tell you. I can't even describe it. It was just dark. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't have a whole lot of fun. There was no joy. There was nothing. Now, oddly about it, I was, I was okay at home when I had my family and my, my group. And when the family was there, I was quite fine. But other than that, I didn't want to be around anybody. No offense. Didn't want to be around you. Didn't want to see you. Didn't want to talk to you. I sat with the elders one night, and I said with them, I need to tell you that I'm in a dark, dark place, and I don't know why. One of the elders laughed and said, what, are you joking? And I was like, I'm not. Yeah, you are. I go, I'm not. He said, well, well, let me pray for you. Nope, don't pray for me. I don't want you to pray for me. I don't want you to touch me. Don't come up and lay your hands on me. You stay on that end of the table. I'll stay on this end of the table, and we'll all be fine. That's where I was at. 
I'd come to work. I, I actually sat down at one point. But God bless the staff. And uh, I walked in and said at one point, listen, I'm in a horrible place. I don't know why. It's not you. It's me. Just leave me alone. And you're, you're probably safer that way. I would come in. I'd go to my office. It takes me about 20 hours-ish to do a sermon, get it ready. I would go in and start working on Monday and work till Friday, and I got nothing. And I have to preach on Sunday still because, you know, the, the life doesn't stop. It's because you're going to problems, right? Still going on. Every day I'd get up and have to keep going on. I'd come to church on Sunday. I'd either come really early or late. No offense, I didn't want to see anybody. Told the staff they would know it. I'd come in, I'd go in the back room, and I'd sit back there all by myself. I would sit and do a sermon. I'd write a sermon. I don't even know what I wrote. I would sit there Monday through Friday writing a sermon, whatever. I didn't even know what I wrote, knowing that I had to preach on Sunday. And then I would come in every Sunday, and I, I, I should qualify this for you. So, oh, you should have seen the doctor. I did. It's never helpful when the doctor slash counselor goes, we don't know. It's not helpful, you know, thankful. We give you pills. I'm not a pill guy. And so for nine months, 12 months, my wife was great. She'd say, you okay? I go, no. You going to be okay? Pretty sure. Okay. Tell me how to help you along the way. Dark. So... I would come in, and I'd go backstage, and right behind this wall, you can't see it. There's a couple of stools like this. I'd come in on Sunday, and I'd go find this stool, and I'd sit down there, sit here. And let me give you a quick picture of what darkness looks like when you have no hope. Looks like this. Looks like this, doesn't it? When you're facing something, you got a problem. It's not going away. And you wish it would, you wish it could, but you don't know what to do, and you sit there, and it looks just like this. It's just dark. I didn't reject God. I didn't, I didn't say, God, where are you? I just went every day and went, ugh, I don't know. And I would sit in that back hallway on a stool, and this is what darkness looked like. But let me give you a different picture. This is actually what it looked like in that back hallway. <clears throat> because you see, what you can't see back in the hall are blue lights so that the lights aren't on glaring through the curtains and things. It looks like this. So I would come every Sunday, and I would sit on a stool back in a corner, and there was a blue light right next to me, and I would sit there, and this is the way it looked. Now listen carefully. What you are looking at right now, what you don't recognize, is you are looking at what hope looks like. Because every week I would just show up and I would just do what I was supposed to do. I mean, just keep doing the right thing. And this is what hope looks like because one day I sat back there and I recognized that somewhere along the way God showed up. And he'd been showing up every week, and I hadn't really seen it then. I'd come out here, and I'd preach. And before I could get away, somebody would say with tears, oh, that sermon, that was powerful. And I could smile, but the reason I had to smile was say, I don't even know what I said. I don't even know what I wrote. I'd make a note, man, I got to go back and check that someday and see exactly what I said. But along the way, hope showed up. Any Sunday I go back there, I see this bench, this stool, and I sit down. I got to tell you, I got hope again. It's like, ah, oh, I remember that 
hope. Didn't happen in a day, nine months to a year. I was telling this story to a group of pastors, and we were sharing different moments. And I said this to them. I said, I, nine months to a year, and I just kept doing, just kept, every day, kept doing, doing what I had to do. And the one guy stopped, and he said, you don't realize it, that's the ticket. He said, you know, he worked with the next generation leaders. He goes, this is the problem I see in so many of the next generation. They bail out before they've given time for hope to show up. They just won't go the distance. They, they're not getting the answer they want. They're not seeing God the way they want. So they just be like, please know there was no holy moment for me. I didn't know anything else to do but to do the next thing and the next thing. I want to tell you right now that anytime you find yourself with that problem and you're facing it going, I have no hope. You keep doing the thing you're supposed to do and you say, God, you're going to have to show up. And friends, I can't tell you how or when, but I can tell you he does. And hope wins the day. Bow your heads if you would. Father, I'm so thankful I oftentimes find myself, why, why was it just 15 years ago that I figured out that, that the patience of waiting on you and trusting you is just keep doing, keep doing what we're supposed to do and every day saying to you, God, I trust you. I, I wish sometimes it would be different that all of a sudden we'd see hope. I, I'd see that blue light in that stool back there. I didn't know that that was hope radiating. But every Sunday I'd sit in that that stool and you'd show up but I am thankful there was a day when it dawned on me look what you did over those nine months I didn't even see it then but I see it now and today I can preach on hope because I've experienced the reality of your hope in my life father for the person this morning who needs this message may they learn one step after the other, foot after step after step, one foot in front of the other, and watch, because as you're building character, as you're building into us, we will stop and one day we'll go, oh, look how hope showed up. We have the absolute confidence you are in control. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stand if you would, please. Look at me. If you are here today and that dark spot reflects where you just might be, I want you to know, don't quit too soon. Don't bail out because hope is on the way. God bless you. Have a great day.